A reading from the book of Psalms. Psalm 22, to the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me, like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Thank you, Andy, for reading Psalm 22. If you guys hadn't noticed, we are in Psalm 22, uh, that's the middle of the Bible if you're trying to find it. Guys, I'm Blaine Hooper. I'm a uh, planting resident here at the bridge. My wife and I are planting Christ Our Refuge Church in Sharpstown. 
to reach refugees uh, for the sake and for the name of Jesus Christ from all sorts of nations. It's really uh, our joy our joy to be here and to be walking out in faith. Thank you guys, uh, really, for your partnership in the gospel. Today we're going to continue our series on rediscovering lament, conversations with God that lead us uh, from hurt to hope. And I and my prayer has been consistently that that God has been with you in your grief and pain. If you're experiencing that, that, that you would know that his presence uh, is the key to all hope. And we've been studying lament from the perspective of us looking up to God as his people. But we really couldn't say that we've understood lament, biblical lament, until we've meditated really on the deepest lament in the Bible of one man's ultimate grief and loss. And before we get into that, let's pray. God, uh, help us to understand uh, that you grieve with us, God, that you are with us, that, that you see and know us deeply, and you know our afflictions, God, you know our frailties. God, help us in this moment uh, to, to focus uh, not on our phones or on all the, all the things streaming kind of are coming at us or appearing. God, help us to focus singly on you and on your Son, and, and Spirit, would you would just help us uh, to be filled for this work. In Jesus' name, amen. We have at least four historical accounts of horrific, uh, real injustice, uh, a source of lament against a man. And you guys probably know where I'm going. But this man was unjustly accused of a crime he didn't commit, and he, and he went through for uh, at least four unlawful questionings. Two were actually deemed trials. And in these trials, he endured hours and hours of false, shameful allegations against him as a person that were punctuated by frequent physical abuse, which actually under local law nullified those trials. But ultimately, it didn't matter. This man was wrongfully accused, not only but sentenced to death, as a criminal, guilty of treason, of insurrection. And then he was tortured. He was beaten unrecognizably by thugs. Uh, soldiers mocked him. And, and in, in the midst of beating him, they said, if you're in charge, save yourself. He was eventually flogged. He was tied to a post and, and whipped uh, with a whip that contained uh, metal and bone fragments attached, attached to rough leather. And... As he was being whipped, it ripped the skin from his back over and over and over again. And the torture continued. He was stripped of his clothing, naked, and he was forced to carry the instrument of his own death. And then the thugs rolled some dice uh, to see who could get his clothes. Even the clothes off his back were, were taken from him. At length, he was so physically weak having to walk pretty much with this instrument of death all the way outside of town, a pretty hilly town, that he couldn't go on. And so they had to find a, a local guy to help him, and eventually he made it to the side of his execution. And there, metal spikes were driven into his hands, uh, right here at the wrists, um, because they were going to support his body weight, and, and, and into his feet, he was attached to a cross. And this death by crucifixion was meant to be a slow, 
agonizing death of days because here's how it worked. One couldn't breathe while hanging there on the cross, that he would have to hold himself up by these small shoulder muscles and in, and in trying to take a full breath and extending the legs and pushing up um, on your feet where they were pierced with a, with a giant nail was excruciating. I mean, it was horrific. And then the one eventually crucified would eventually tire and slowly suffocate in misery over the course of three days. But actually, that man wouldn't happen. That 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 slow death wouldn't happen to this man. Uh, but there was even more torture. Uh, he was mocked again mercilessly as as a criminal and a loser, and by everyone who passed by on their way into the city, and some even came out of the city. Local magistrates who were supposed to be. Uh, overseeing a religious festival, worshiping God. They came down for this show to surround him, to laugh at him, to shame him continually. And they said this verbatim, He is the king. Let, let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts God. Let God rescue him now if he delights in him. And after about six hours of this, the man on the cross um, Eventually, he begins to cry out, and he cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated from the Aramaic, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And after saying a few words to his family, he said, it is finished, and he died. As you guys probably have guessed, this is the account of the death of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the Son of God, found in all four Gospels. And in our study uh, of lament, it would be really incomplete without considering this lament, the lament of laments. And Jesus, if you guys hadn't noticed, directly quoted Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if there's anyone who's ever been forsaken of God, it was Jesus Christ. And if y'all hadn't also noticed or didn't know, this psalm that was read... Before our message, Psalm 22 bears a remarkable similarity to the story that I told you in the Gospels. Did you know that the words that were written by David were written 1,000 years before Jesus was even born? That should make you a little more interested in what Psalm 22 says, I hope, no matter who you are. And this Psalm 22 is vitally important to us because it's not only an amazing prophecy or a witness of the all-knowingness or the omniscience of God. It's important because the psalm uh, is clearly about Christ's suffering and faith and hope, and it gives us a window into his life and thoughts in the deepest moment of lament and suffering in human history. And what's even more uh, fascinating is that while this lament is somewhat similar to the people of God crying out to God for help, in some ways it's completely different or it's mind-blowing because it's not just from a follower of God. It's from God's Son, Jesus Christ, crying out to God, the Heavenly Father. Because when Jesus lamented, God took on our grief. So we've got to study this. And instead of studying say verse by verse for the sake of time, we're going to talk about some key verses and key aspects 
in the lament of Jesus, specifically how he experienced loss or death in every sense on the cross. Now you guys might remember three weeks ago we talked about the deaths that Adam and Eve and all humanity have experienced because of the fall. And we study that in Genesis 1 through 3. And in every way that we have experienced death, Jesus has experienced death. He lamented death as our representative, our sacrifice in his life, and particularly in his death on the cross. So what are the deaths that, that Christ experienced on the cross that are brought out in Psalm 22? What are those deaths? Well, one, fundamentally, there was the death or the separation or the, the brokenness of relationship with God as Father. That fundamental death. He cries out in verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, Oh my God, I cry by day, but you don't answer. By night, I find no rest. God the Father is far from Jesus on the cross. In some way that we don't understand, the, the perfect relationship that Christ Jesus, the man, had with God, his Father, is broken. And he has been abandoned by his source of joy and peace and life. The one that he has been one with before the world began. This is being forsaken. And Jesus cries out for deliverance for six hours. And he is not answered by God. Not answered by God. What was happening? Well, God the Father... According to his plan, that, that according to the New Testament, it says, according to his plan uh, that was from the beginning before the foundation of the world, Jesus was being made on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, the one that we deserved. And the first kind of prime penalty or, or prime death or fundamental death for sin in the garden, if we remember, was remember the separation of from God, the separation from fellowship or holy intimacy with God. And Jesus experienced this brokenness, this God-less reality in terms of that relationship that Adam and Eve and all of us have experienced. And notice, guys, that Jesus didn't cry out really in agony on all the things that happened before, right? The shaming, the 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 when I mean I don't know about you, but when people accuse me of something that I didn't do. I'm up in their face, right? That's my first inclination, right? Um, and in the midst of that, Jesus didn't say anything. And in the beatings, in the torture, the flogging, and the shaming, he took that in stride, no problem. But when the Son of God was forsaken by his Father, the one that he loved, this broke. It broke the spirit of the humanity of Jesus Christ. There has never before been suffering like that in any context, in any period of human history ever. You know, we know loved ones who we've, uh, who've lost a spouse of 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, and it really is the most heart-wrenching, crushing thing, right, to be separated from someone they've loved or you've loved for a lifetime. And I remember my grandmother lost uh, my grandmother and grandfather, and they'd been married for 50 years, and he died 11 years ago. And I feel like, honestly, she still has not recovered from that pain, that loss. And y'all, that was finite. That was human to human. I mean, beautiful, right? But still imperfect relationship. My grandparents didn't always get along. I remember they'd fight occasionally, 
But still, that loss hurts more, hurts Grandma more than anything. What about an infinitely deep, infinitely loving, infinitely beautiful, literally life-giving relationship between God the Father and God the Son, Jesus the Christ? What, what kind of loss would that feel like? Would it, would it be like? Because, you know, we define loss by attachment. The extent to which we grieve is in proportion to how much we love someone or, or something. And so for the Father to break the infinitely deep, the, the perfect relationship that he had with God the Son was literally hell for Jesus to experience that. It was the most profound suffering that anyone has ever experienced. Jesus tasted, he felt death, really, truly, in terms of separation from God the Father. Remember, that's what hell is our separation from the love of God. So we also experienced not just that kind of death, but the death of of inner peace, the death of happiness or peace within himself. Jesus experienced doubt, anguish, brokenness. And we read this in Psalm 22, this window into his his thinking, who he was. Verse 2 says, I found no rest. Verse 6 says, I'm a worm and not a man. Verse 14 says, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. That was literally true of crucifixion. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. In the midst of crucifixion for our sins, the Prince of Peace experienced the loss of peace. He experienced the joy that he's had from the beginning of beginnings. Jesus had sorrow. He'd lost friends. But on the cross, Jesus experiences despair. In addition to tasting death from above and and, and death from within, Jesus also experienced or tastes death from without, from his fellow man. Hatred, that kind of broken relationships. There is something desperately wrong in the world, as we've been talking about, but there's something desperately wrong when, when we crucify, uh, when, we, when we are treating the Son of God as we treated him. The only flawless, perfect, kind in every sense person who ever lived is murdered by others. Particularly the people group that he was a part of, the people group that he loved the most and had most affinity with. Verse 6 and 7 of Psalm 22 say, He was scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who seek me, see me, mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their hands. And even then, they, they go even farther. They mock his faith in the God that they say they believe in, they're in a relationship with. They say, he trusts the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. And this was especially prophetic. This was uttered by people who knew the Old Testament. They didn't even know that they were fulfilling the prophecy of a thousand years before. In verse 12, it says his enemies surround him like wild bulls, dogs, lions to devour him in fulfillment of prophecy, right? We read about that, or we know about that happening in the Gospels. And verse 16 says, they pierce his hands, they pierce my hands and feet. That is incredible prophecy, but, but, I mean, really grotesque. Verse 18 says, they gamble, they cast lots for my clothes. They gamble to steal a dying man's clothes. And that, of course, was fulfilled 
in Jesus. Passion. You know, also, guys, he was betrayed by his closest disciples, the people he poured out his life for, his his soul for, for three years. As soon as he was captured or, or arrested, they abandoned him like that at the hour of his greatest need. And his people who were supposed to welcome him and love him, the people that he worked miracles among, they demand his execution. They, they pervert justice to murder him. And the one semi-objective guy, this Roman governor Pilate, knows Jesus innocent, calls Jesus innocent, and he just kind of rolls over. He, he bows to political pressure and has Jesus killed anyway. Here's the point. In any way that a person can experience death and injustice and suffering and pain and loss with God, within, without, Jesus is the king. He is the king of sorrows. And the sick irony is that the least deserving person in all of human history for such human his, for such suffering gets that kind of suffering. It is the greatest laments, right? It's the lament Islam of laments. The Bible is clear that, that Jesus, actually the why of this is that he suffered and died in our place as our substitute for our sin because of our willful disobedience, our rebellion, our brokenness. The Son of God became sin. The Bible says he became a curse. And this guy should should hurt us. This, this should cause us the greatest lament that we should cry out that our sin, for us to be saved from the wrath, the anger of God, that was ours, that, that was meant to be ours. That meant that, that a perfect man had to undergo infinite shame and injustice on our behalf. This should cause us to lament, to sorrow. And the application right here, right now, for all of us, whether you've known Jesus for a long time or maybe you just want to know more about him or, or you're in between, I think, one, it means clear that, that we need to repent. We need to, to grieve from going our way. We need to turn away from our sins because our sins put us in the grave and they put Jesus on the cross. And he has died to free you from the, from the power of sin over your life right now and from the, the penalty of sin in hell and from the presence of sin in, in eternity. Sin and death will be gone forever in Jesus' kingdom. And to continue sinning in any way, in any thought, in word, in deed, is a slap in the face of Jesus. And we have to stop that. We have to stop that. And clearly, the next step is to live for Jesus because he's the best. He's the greatest. Why wouldn't you trust that guy, that God, the, the God who grieves so much for us and our suffering, so much for us and our sin and our death, that he became death for us, even though we chose death instead of him, and that he sent his son to end it at such great cost. Isaiah 53, another incredible prophecy of, of Jesus' death and resurrection and substitution for us, says that it pleased the Lord to crush him. That he suffered death on our behalf. And, and he didn't owe us that. In fact, he owed us punishment. Guys, I wouldn't give my son, my sons, for anyone or anything in the world. In fact, I would give my life for my sons. Yet God sent his one and only son to suffer 
the one that he was pleased, well pleased with, to give his life as a ransom for many. And so, y'all, I hope you don't need any more evidence. And I hope you don't see another response here, but following Jesus. And if this is true, what else would we live for? Like, what, why else would we exist? Everything else seems really foolish, other than knowing this kind of person, the kind of love that should change us, that, that teaches us to love everything and everyone better. We need to make, and this sermon is probably not about particular what's or, or, or how to lament better exactly. It's more about why. We should make our why in life Jesus, knowing him, loving him, following him. Clearly, I think that means that every moment, every word, every decision, every swipe of your phone needs to be for the glory and the honor of Jesus Christ. In light of that reality. And you might be worried that you're going to lose yourself in that. And you'd be right. But in seeking Jesus, we find ourselves. um, The first will be last, Jesus says. You'll find Jesus when when you lay it down. This is the person that you were supposed to be all along. So don't fight it. Make your why Jesus. But beautifully, we're not actually ending there at this point at the suffering of Jesus. The cry of of the suffering of Jesus on the cross prophesied in Psalm 22 is not the end. It was not the end of the conversation of lament, right? Lament is about moving from hurt to hope. And Jesus was moved from hurt and suffering to hope, I believe, even while he was on the cross. Did you guys catch that beautiful trust and praise in the midst of suffering of Jesus in Psalm 22? Verse 2 says, look with me, I cry, but you don't answer. Yet, you are holy, enthroned on the praise of Israel. In our fathers, uh, in you our fathers trusted, and you delivered them, they cried. And you rescued them. In in you they trusted, and they were not put to shame. Verse 9 continues, You took me from the womb, and you caused me to trust you at my mother's breast. And even then, there's more hope that appears. There was that interchange of, of hope and trust in the midst of suffering back and forth. Still more hope appears in the midst of a call for help or deliverance. God answers. In verse 21, uh, He says, save me from the mouth of the lion. And then something happens, right? Notice the the shift in tense. He said, you have rescued me, perfect tense, from the horns of the wild oxen. For he has not despised, verse 24, or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried out to him. These verses are talking about when the time of judgment was over, when God the Father ceased to afflict God the Son, when the judgment for our sin was over, and we know this happened in the Gospels, when Jesus says, it is finished. Now, it is the work of bearing our sins is finished. And at that point, Jesus dies. And that's not the end of the story. The Gospels proclaim that Jesus was raised from the dead and declared the conqueror of sin and death and devil and, and the devil. And, and Jesus, when Mary goes to visit Jesus, his tomb, and to pray, the Gospels record that she found what? 
She found angels saying, stop weeping, the tomb is empty. Jesus now celebrates. He has been lifted up. He has been glorified. The greatest name of all is his because he is at the right hand of God. He is receiving and guiding praise of all the elect, the chosen of God from all nations. And Psalm 22 talks about this too. It, it prophesies this too. In verse 25, it says, in 26, it says, From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. And continue in verse 27 and 28, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over all the nations. Amen. We will live forever with him because we are his. Right? And he lives forever. And this is the one, the greatest cause for hope for us in the, in the midst of lament. The hope is that we share his life, his joy, his peace forever. And what grace is that, that none of us in Christ will suffer like Jesus suffered. But all who follow him will have an eternally abundant life. Jesus said, and one of my favorite verses in John 27, 28, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give to them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them from my hand. No one will snatch them from my hand. And I think there's a final key to hope from this story as a whole, from the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in, in times of our personal deep lament and grief that God can redeem anything. I think that's the final hope that God can redeem anything, anything. Psalm 22 is witness that the most profound loss and suffering and despair that ever existed or ever will exist that the lament of laments, the perfect God-man, Jesus Christ, um, his suffering was turned into the greatest possible hope that ever existed. And that is the gospel. And there is nothing like it anywhere else. Anything I've ever read, anything I've ever seen, there is nothing like that hope and lament. Because it is, the gospel is fundamentally about who God is. That there is hope in the God of the cross and the resurrection the great redeemer whatever evil or brokenness listen to me guys whatever you are experiencing right now that if you have faith in Christ it is not meaningless are you suffering from addiction or injustice or depression or divorce or joblessness or trauma or unbearable shame whatever it is whether you had a big part in causing it or not there is nothing absolutely that Jesus can't save you from because there's nothing that Jesus hasn't gone through for you. Remember the people calling out and laughing and mocking Jesus as they said, as was prophesied, let him save himself. Remember that Jesus in agony, even though he had the power to save himself, he did not, so that he could save you and me. That's beautiful. That's hope-giving. That is the gospel. And I, I want to end with a doxology and a prayer. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Let's pray. God, um, thank you that, that you have taken us 
through things, for things, for your great purpose. God, um, cause us to trust in you. God, you have cared about us. You have loved us infinitely from the womb. And before that, God, your love was upon us. Uh, I pray that we would find our why, our purpose in the life and the death of Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would abound in hope by the Spirit's power. In Jesus' mighty name, the only name that can save, we pray, amen.